How can a young man keep his way pure? And what I found interesting was, this is what Ben was talking about. He, as soon as he started to read the scripture, as soon as he really started to commit to God, he knew that if he was to follow this sort of protocol, this code of conduct, that something had to change. He had to change a lot of things. He couldn't continue to live the way he was living because it's just not going to gel. You can't be reading this every day and living this wretched life at the same time. So that's what I really appreciate in, in the way the Holy Spirit moved in you. And then it also happened in Claudia as well. The same thing happened to her. She realized and she didn't like it at first because she's like reading this and my life's got to change. And really, anyone who does an honest reading, especially through the New Testament, through Romans and you know, through Ephesians, etc., as soon as you do an honest reading, it's got to change the way you live. And that's what it's got the power to do. The Bible is what the Word of God is for. It's not just, it's not just going to give us salvation. It's to change who we are now so that we live a more holy and righteous life. Let's just turn there. 119 verse 9. And it says, so it says here, How can a young man keep his way pure? And it says, By living according to your word. By living according to. And it's not just knowing about it. It's not having all this head knowledge. It's living in accordance with what it says. It says, don't be, be a drunkard. So you don't go and get drunk. Don't involve yourself in sexual immorality. So you don't involve yourself in sexual immorality. It's pretty clear, isn't it? It's kind of dry. There's not many grey areas in the New Testament if you really look at it for what it says. And then verse 10, it says, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart. What he's saying is he reads the word and he locks it away. Locks it away. And that's what I was very impressed when Claudia spoke, Ben. She had some scriptures that just rolled off her tongue. Mm. She had locked them away. She had hidden the word in her heart. So I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. So he recounts them. He, he says them from memory. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. So when he's talking about statutes, precepts and decrees, he's pretty much talking about the Word of God, everything in this, in this book. And then it says, I will not neglect your word. So that was, I'm pretty sure 119 was a Psalm of David. It's the longest Psalm. I think it was. Um, no, that, that's just the names of the different uh, sections of it. But anyway, whoever wrote that psalm said, I will not neglect your word. Is it easy to neglect the word of God? Yeah? Yes. As a Christian, anyone who's been a Christian for a good, you know, five years, ten years, will know it's very easy to neglect the Bible. Mm -hmm. Amen? Yep. Who's been a Christian and one month has gone by and you haven't opened it. Yeah. Who's been a Christian in two months may have gone by. Or three. I'll tell you, oh, this is a confession from a, a past sinner, Christian sinner, <laughs> me, that there was a, a period where I don't think I opened it for about a year. It coincided with not going to church for a time. And in that time, I put this in my bedside table and I said, you know what, I'm going to keep reading and I'm going to pull it out of my bedside table every night. And before I go to sleep, I'm going to read a, a passage. And I put it in that bedside table and that's where it stayed for the next year. You know, And you know, you can be going to church, you can hear pastors preach on how important it is to read the Bible and guess what? We can neglect it. We can neglect it. In a sense, by neglecting the Bible, we're neglecting God. And I'm, this is going to become more clear as this sermon comes along because this is called the Word of God. Jesus is called the Word of God. When we speak, we speak the Word of God. So the Word of God is this thing, and it's sort of in a sense, if Jesus is the Word of God and this is considered the Word of God in Scripture, 
It's sort of like Jesus in book form. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Don't neglect your Lord. Not that the book is your Lord, you don't bow down to a book. You know what I mean? It's, this, it's an analogy, but it's a concept that we understand because the actual paper and everything else, um, well, because the word is printed on it, it's been blessed, right? But it's not the book that we bow down to, it's Jesus, and this is his word that he spoke. And we're, are we going to bow down to Jesus, or do we bow down to Jesus? Yeah. Amen. Should a Christian bow down to Jesus? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every tongue. I remember one atheist said, uh, there's no way um, I'm going to bow down to Jesus and he'll have to break my legs. <laughs> and I wrote back, that won't be a problem for Jesus. You know, I'm pretty sure all those hardened atheists, all their legs are going to be snapped. But you know what? They won't even have to. They're going to see God and all His glory. They're going to fall down as if dead. Their bodies will just give out. And they'll fall at the foot of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Because our word says so. That's why I can say so. God washed her brain. Have a listen to this story. You can read it along with me if you can read small print. In his book... How to Be Born Again by Billy Graham, he tells of a missionary who was imprisoned by the Japanese in China. At this concentration camp, the penalty for owning even a portion of the scriptures was death. However, a small gospel of John was smuggled to her in a winter coat. Small gospel, probably a Gideon's or something. <laughs> At night when she went to bed, she pulled the covers over her head and with her flashlight in hand, read a verse and then put herself to sleep memorising that verse. In this way, over a period of time, she memorised the entire Gospel of John. When she went to wash her hands, she would take one page at a time, dissolve it with soap and water, and flush it down the drain. And in that way, she said that John and I parted company. Uh, this little missionary was interviewed by a Time reporter just before the prisoners were released, uh, and he happened to be standing at the gates when the prisoners come out. Most of them shuffled along, eyes on the ground, little more than automatons. Then out came the little missionary, bright as a button. One of the reporters was heard to ask, I wonder if, he, if they managed to brainwash her. And the time reporter overheard the remark and answered, God washed her brain. Mm -hmm. I like that story because what it shows is that in all of that suffering, all of that, the trials and tribulations that she went through in prison, it wouldn't have been easy. Mm -hmm. She just washed her brain with the Lord Jesus Christ every day. Read his word, read his word, read his word. And when she came out, everyone else was like, you know, dragging their corpses along. She came out bright as a button. You know, she, had, she was eating a bread that no one else was eating, wasn't she? She was eating the Word of God. And it, and it gives you a sustenance to maintain that level of vitality that she would have had at that time. So that's an interesting story, isn't it? How important is it that we wash our minds every day with the Word of God? Because we don't want to shuffle along like these guys in that concentration camp. We shouldn't be Christian claiming to believe in a risen Saviour who's a, a, a God of, uh, beyond our imagination. We shouldn't be believing that and then shuffling along through the day like miserable wretches, should we? We should be so joyful, so filled with the Spirit that nothing can waver us, nothing can shake us from the path, nothing can push us off. Nothing, nothing can come along and depress us. You know? Easier said than done. Amen? Mm. Who, who gets depressed from time to time? You know? We go through, we have trials and tribulations, we go through hardships. But you know what? It's, you, you might go through it for a short time, but how many of you suddenly go, you know what? It's all about Jesus. And, you know, I've got to get back to that place in Him. I've got to get the Bible out. I've got to get my mind on, on God. Because I'm focusing too much on the situation. And the situations can just weigh you down, be, you know, wear you out, can't they? Mm -hmm. Anyone have trouble with days? Or am I the only one? We all do. Yeah. And people know to mess days up for us, don't they? But we've got to let Jesus clean them up for us. You know? Now, John 1, verses 1 to 4. Let's just quickly turn there. So we're talking about the Word of God here. And... It says, if you're all there, in the beginning 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word... Does it say a God or was God? The Jehovah Witnesses change that. They say a God. <laughs> sort of throw that in. But now they don't worship Jesus as God, so they don't worship the same Jesus as us. But it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That sells it for me. Jesus is God. Does it say that? The Word was with God in the beginning? And He was with God and He was God. And the Word was God and He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made and without Him nothing was made that has been made. So through the Word of God all things were made and without Him nothing was made that has been made. So there's not a single thing in the universe that's been made that wasn't made through the Word of God. Now just jump down to verse 14. And verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and lived for a while among us. So who's that? Jesus. So now we have the Word living among us. And the Word who made everything, who was God, is now among us. I don't know how anyone cannot see that Jesus is God. You'd have to be blind as a bat or just choose not to accept it, as it says, and twist it in some way in your mind that helps you to be satisfied. So the Word of God. So that's what the Word of God is. Acts 4.31. Let's have a look at that. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God boldly. So now... Speaking the word of God is he referred to as coming forth from the mouths of the Holy Spirit filled believers. Just as Jesus is referred to as the word of God becoming flesh, in that Jesus is a manifestation of the word of the Father, and therefore is the Father. That's why he says, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now we see the word of God, Jesus Christ, being a manifestation of the spoken word of Holy Spirit filled believers. So now, the Father spoke and the speaking of the Father was Jesus, was the Word of God. Now, I don't know how that all works, because I wasn't there, I can't see, can't see it. Um, that whole concept is outside of our ability to comprehend, because now we're talking about a spiritual being beyond their comprehension who just related it to us in that manner for us to sort of get an idea of what it was sort of like. But the actual reality of that is so hard to comprehend that it will blow our minds. You know, we're just having trouble with DNA working out what God created, let alone trying to work out what God is and who Jesus is. But all he said was that the, that he was the speaking of the Father was Jesus. Right? Doesn't mean he's the breath of the Father. In, well, he is in a sense, but he isn't. But it, it, it's. Something happened there, right? And then out of that, out of Jesus, everything else was created. All that complex DNA stuff, that's Jesus. That's his intellect. You know, we're baffled by it most of the time. You know, most of us, I don't think anyone in this room could give us a really good definition of DNA and, uh, you know, help us to understand what it is. I think scientists are still baffled to help us understand what it is. But Jesus had the power... To not just understand what it is, to create it and make it work so that it creates creatures and then creatures after its own kind. Do you know what I mean? That's a powerful God, isn't it? So, and then it says that when we speak the word of God, we are speaking God. So right now, as I'm speaking, I'm speaking the word of God. So now Jesus Christ is in a sense coming forth through what I'm saying. Because it says here in Acts 4.31, they spoke the word of God. So when you go up to someone and you start to tell them about Jesus, you're speaking the word of God. You're speaking Christ into the life of that person, whether they accept it or reject it. That's what you're doing. Now, there's power in knowing and understanding that. That the, you could go through the whole day. You might spend the day with someone and the whole day you just talk about everything else except Jesus Christ. And then there's about five minutes where you find a moment and you speak something to them about Christ. Right then, the power of God can come into that person. You know what I'm saying? Because you open it up. You open yourself up to the Holy Spirit to say, okay, now deliver. 
And out it comes. And you're speaking life. You're speaking, you can speak resurrection power into that person. You can speak eternal life into that person. And now that person who may may have gone to hell if you never spoke to them will have a chance to receive salvation. And one day they could be in heaven and come up, you know, that five minutes you were with me on the beach and you had nothing. You know, you, we talked about everything else and then you said one thing to me at that moment. It just struck a chord with me. The word of God came into my heart and changed me forever. There's power in what we speak. But we don't realise that we get too scared to even speak a lot of the time. Who's been there? Mm-hmm. You know, opportunities sitting there and you're too scared to speak. But we've got, to, we've got to say, okay, God, give it to me. Give me the words now so I can speak it into this person. Amen? Yeah. Now, let's keep moving along. Hebrews 4.12. We could turn there. For the word of God... I can't remember where, whether it was Ben that said this. I think it was Ben that said this today. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. See, when you speak, you're speaking a living, active power into someone's life, and it's sharper than a double-edged sword. It can penetrate even to dividing soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Judges them. That's why Claudia, when she, she was reading it, judged her thoughts, it judged her attitudes. And she couldn't rest under that. She couldn't rest until she'd given her life to Jesus. Judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Did you hear that? Everything is laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Every one of us will stand before God on judgment day. And we must give an account. And I must give an account. You must give an account. And we must give an account of how we use the Word of God. This is the treasure He's given us. This is the treasure. This is how we build treasure in heaven, by, by this thing. This is the sword of the Spirit. We've got to learn how to use the sword. You imagine, you join an army back in the old days. And the, the commanding officer comes up and hands you your sword. This is your sword. And uh, start practicing. And you go home for the first day, this is exciting, I've got a sword, yeah, this is fun, great. Next day, oh, you know, pick it up, oh, just heavier today, my arms are all sore from yesterday. Third day, sort of leave it, uh, I, might not, I might just recover a bit more, I need another day to recover. Fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, oh, I bet I'll, I'll try to practice again, oh, it's not as much fun as it was the first day. And then... You know, two weeks in, three weeks in, and you're picking it up here and there, and you sort of walk around your room with it, swinging it like that. You know what I mean? And then you put it down. You know what I mean? Six months goes by, and it's it's now got a little mount that's hanging up on your wall, and you're looking at it. And then you get called to battle. And then you're eight months down the track, and they call you to battle. There's a a, a trumpet goes off and you've got this army is advancing <laughs> and you run up and you grab your sword and you, oh, I forgot how heavy this thing was and you're dragging it. Imagine that. You know, you get to the battle line and all these other guys are bit, they're all buffed, you know, they're all, <laughs> that's, you know, come and get me sort of thing. And you're there and you're having trouble holding your sword. So, you're pretty well going to fall in battle, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. This is the word. Of the, this is the sword of the spirit. The word of God. The sword of the spirit. You know, there's a story coming up where you know I'm going to be telling you about some uh, a man who was imprisoned for Christ. You know, there's. Do you know how many at the moment? There's hundreds of thousands of Christians in prison for Christ right now. Right now. Down in deep, dark dungeons, they're getting whipped and beaten and flogged all the time. The only thing that's holding them together is their memory of Scripture. If you want to get an insight into it, read The Heavenly Man. Who's read The Heavenly Man here? Yeah, two? A little bit. Matthew finished finished the book. (laughs) Read The Heavenly Man. If you want to get some real first-hand understanding of what these Christians are going through. Now, while I'm saying it to them, you know, it's peacetime now, isn't it? So don't walk around and swing your sword like this every now and then and then put it up on the wall and look at it and say, what a beautiful sword I have. It's so clean and polished. 
You know, use your sword. Use it. Get good at it. Because a day may come when this might be taken from you. And everything else may be taken from you, and you may be. I'm not saying it's a definite, but you might end up in a prison for Christ. You know, if the things that Jesus says comes upon the earth, if that happens, if the things that he was talking about happens upon the face of the whole earth, which is what he said, well, well, you'd really want to know this thing. Back to front, inside out. You know what I mean? We've got to get it in our heart. And that's what this sermon's about today. It's a powerful weapon against evil. Not a weapon that we swing to destroy, but a weapon that we swing to bring life. Amen? We've got to understand how to use it, and we've got to learn how to use it. But the first thing is we've got to get it into our head. And when I say into our head, it's the process of getting it into your heart is to get it into the head first. Because the head is where it all stops most of the time. You start memorising Bill's scripture verse each week. And you, you, you do it a few times and then you put, the, put it down. It's too hard. Because you've got to go through the head. And the head's got to focus. And the head's got to get it in. But I reckon we should start picking up on that, Bill, don't you reckon? And really getting those scriptures into us. So that when Bill says, okay, let's, or, or Matthew, or yeah. Bill, whoever doesn't, um, says, okay, let's do the memory verse, that all of us know it from memory. We don't have to scramble through the Bible or just not say it at all when, when Bill's saying it. It's really important that we, we understand the Scriptures and, and know them. So the Word of God, the Bible, is a living and active power and enables us to turn, well, it can turn us, transform us, and redesign our life. When we read the Bible, we are hearing from God. Let's have a listen to what Timothy, or Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 3.16 and it says, all scripture, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And, and you know why this is important is... Christians will stand before God on Judgment Day. They won't have to fear going to hell, will they? Mm -hmm. If you're a true Christian, do you have to fear hell? No. There's no hell. Hell is for those that reject Christ or live contrary to his, his ways. But Christians, true Christians, live according to the will of God and they, and, and they don't have to fear hell. But what Christians will be judged on is this kind of stuff. This is what we get judged on. Because there will be a judgment for the, for the righteous. And it's going to be on how we trained ourselves. How we allowed the Holy Spirit to train us is a probably a better way of thinking about it. But we've got to be in cooperation with the Spirit. So when God gives me a word, and the word is coming pretty strong, that you know it's so important that we read the Bible and get it in our hearts and memorize it, etc., and everyone here, I don't think there'll be one of you that would disagree with me on just about any point. Then what the Holy, you've got to let the Holy Spirit do then is when you get home, you've got to let the Holy Spirit say, okay, discipline yourself from here. You've got to start committing. You've got to start committing to the, the things that you know you must do. And that is, if you haven't been in the habit of picking up the Bible every day and reading it, you might say to yourself, you know what? Every morning at 7am, I'm going to sit up and read the Bible. And then after that, I'm going to do my prayers. You know what I'm saying? So, But whatever that is, that's your thing with God that you've got to sit down and, and do. But if you don't put a priority on it, if, you, if, if God is not that big a priority to you, if, if work and, and, and all, all your friends and everything else in your life is the bigger priority, yeah, of course this will take the back seat. But my, my, from my perspective as a minister, I've got to try to get everyone to put this first. Because if I ask any Christian, what's the most important thing, or what's the highest priority in your life as a Christian, as a person, as a Christian? Now, I reckon just about most Christians would say, well, God, wouldn't they? They'd always say God first. And what would be second? Uh, maybe 
family or ministry or whatever, depending on your situation, family if you're a parent. But God would always be first. But you know, in actual fact, when you, you do the, 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 the actual reality of that, it's usually the other way. That we all would probably say God should be first, but when we work it out every day, God isn't first. God, in a lot of respects, becomes last. You know? Has anyone had the experience that I've had? You got to the end of the day and you haven't prayed. Yeah? It's pretty obvious, isn't it? That we all do it. Got to the end of the day, haven't prayed. You then jump in the bed and lay on your side, put the pillow in that nice, neat position, just the way you like it, and go, I'll pray now. <laughs> yeah, I've tried that. I still try it. Lord, I'll, I'll just, just lay down. And uh, you pray. Oh, Lord, I love you. Thank you, God, for this beautiful day. Where was I? <laughs> you know, and before you know it, that's, this is the quickest way to go to sleep, too, by the way, if you're having trouble sleeping. But um, it's really important that we put God first. God's got to be first. And the, His Word has got to be first in our life. We've got to know it. I remember Bill said to me a few years ago when he was talking about doing the Bible verses, he says, Rob, you know what? I, I don't have many Bible verses in my memory. You know, you hear me preach them through, but that doesn't commit them to memory. If I preach them, will that cause you to memorize them? And if you just read through the Bible, will you memorize scripture? You sort of get a gist. Who's had the thing, you know, oh, there's a scripture and it says something like, the word of God is active, lives in you, you know, bones and marrow, you know. <laughs> but, you know, memory of scripture is really important because it sounds, you know, I remember once I was talking to a guy and I was trying to convince him about God. And he was sort of just looking at me and rolling his eyes and stuff. And then I quoted a scripture and I noticed his ears pricked up and he looked at me and he looked at me different. As soon as the scripture started to roll off my lips, he sort of stood back and was like, wow, this guy knows his scripture. So it was a different response when you speak scriptures to if you're just trying to wing it and say something clever to hopefully get them to turn to Jesus or whatever. So scriptures are really powerful. That's why they, they judge the thoughts and attitude of the heart if you know them. Now, if I read that 316, yeah? Yep. Okay, so let's go to John 15, 7. It says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. See, if you remain in me and my words remain. Now, I believe that's talking about having the word of God in us. And in a, in a sense, being able to quote Scripture, and it's remaining in us, it's, it's living in us, you know? So if it remains in us, if, you, if you, you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Now that could be speaking, and, and there's probably a few different ways of interpreting this, but in this context, I, I, I want to say that how do you get it to remain in you? And it's through scripture memory, memorizing the word. Um, and at least being able to tell the stories of the Bible pretty well. That's another uh, good way that, that we can look at it as well. You can actually know the stories of the Bible. You might not have to say them, quote them word for word from your, from your Bible. But at least give a really good account of what went on. And elaborate it a bit, make it sound a bit better. I've tried to do that a few times. You know, you can make Samson's story sound really awesome, can't you? you know, do all the actions. Get the jawbone of the donkey. <laughs> we must abide in Christ, meaning we must hold firm to the profession of our faith and our commitment to living for Him. And His Word must abide in us, meaning His spoken Word and the Scriptures must be in us and flow from within us. And in that way... And in that we obey his word and do what it says. Because when it's in you, you can sort of um, live a better life because it, it, you, these scriptures become this guidepost to you. You start to be guided by the things that you, you know from scripture. Does that make sense? 
you know, um, I remember reading an account of these kids that were grown up in, in a Christian household, and they memorized over a period of years, they memorized the entire book of Proverbs. And those kids grew into the most finest children, you know, and they became, you know, outstanding citizens. And, um, and you know, I'm talking 100 years ago sort of thing. So these kids really, really benefited from knowing the Proverbs and having them um, on the tip of their tongue. Because sometimes it's hard to discern right from wrong, isn't it? But knowing the Scriptures can help you discern really accurately. And we'll go to James 1.22. And it says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And that one really, really hits home. You know, you can be listening to me today. And if you go home and, and don't respond, in a sense, you're deceiving yourself. And I can say this pretty confidently that a good portion of Western Christianity are sitting in the pews deceiving themselves. Because they don't get changed. They don't go home and do what it says. And that's the word. I'm not saying this. I'm quoting it. I'm, I'm only just re reflecting it into us so that we don't actually fall under this, that we become deceived. And I'll put my hand up first and say, I've lived as a deceived Christian for many years. I've lived in hearing it or reading it and then not doing what it says. You know what I'm saying? Who feels a little bit of conviction in relation to that? Yeah? And do you know that conviction is so good? You know, if we don't get convicted, we don't get changed. And when I say convicted, is that the same word as condemned? A true Christian never should ever be, feel condemned. A true Christian should never feel condemned. So if there's anything that I've ever said and you go home going, oh man, going sitting under Rob's teaching, I always feel condemned. Wrong word for a Christian. If you're feeling condemned, it's because you've misinterpreted the meaning behind it. Condemned is for someone that doesn't believe in Jesus. Conviction is for someone who believes in Jesus, because we're still going to face judgment. But we're going to be judged according to how well we live the Christian life. And when I'm saying, or quoting James, saying, don't deceive yourselves by listening to me and nodding your head and then go home and do the complete opposite. Do what it says. You don't have to do what Rob says, because Rob's quoting scripture. You just do what the scriptures say. Amen. And then you're not deceived. Then you become a true Christian. And so you feel conviction in relation to certain things that is good because you go home and change those things. And then you, if you feel conviction in church, that's great. Because then you don't have to feel conviction on Judgment Day. Because I'll tell you, it's a lot worse when Jesus stands in front of you and says it. Did you know you deceived yourselves your whole Christian life? You heard the word, but you didn't do what it says. And when it's coming from Jesus and you can't go back and live your life over, and that's it, the judgment's set and the day is done, and you're standing there and Jesus is saying it, that's it. You're going to say to yourself, gee, I wish I listened to Rob. You know, at least listen to what Rob preached. Because Rob's got to listen to what Rob preaches too. <laughs> I'm not going to be one of those pastors that put all of it on you guys and say, you've got to do the dealing with it because I've already done it. I, I tell you now, it's, uh, the pastors are probably under greater pressure. And I, I feel for a lot of the pastors that are sort of out there that are really, really struggling, you know. And they can have, like, you know, I've, I've got this book, they, they, uh, The Holy Spirit is Not for Sale, and it talks about ministers all over the world, you know. These are big, big ministers, and the things that they've been caught up to. One minister, and I think I've mentioned this one, and it's just coming to mind again. He had a huge church, 3,000 people. And... On a Sunday, after the Sunday service, he would drive off to another city to sleep with his homosexual lover and smoke crack. By the way, this guy was a hypergrace teacher. And hypergrace basically teaches that the sins that you commit are no longer seen by God because you're under grace. That's the teaching. That's hypergrace. That's um, what... Uh, What's his name? Joseph Prince teaches. 
that God no longer sees the thing that you do because you're under grace. So what they're saying is, when God looks at a Christian, he's got a blindfold on. <laughs> that's how they interpret grace. Grace, that's not grace. That's license. That's not grace. Grace is this, that God gives you the power by the Holy Spirit to live a holy life. That's grace. It's his grace to you to enable you to live the Christian life that you're supposed to live. That's grace. But they've reinterpreted the word grace, and that's a great scheme of the evil one, isn't it? The devil's very smart. How can I mess the Christian church up? Or I'll change the meaning of grace and faith. I'll make it, it's that without saying it, it's pretty much going to give Christians a license to sin. And they don't have to feel condemned. They don't even have to repent. So you hear Joseph Prince saying that if you repent, you're insulting God as a Christian. I heard him say, if you repent, you're insulting God. It's an offence to repent because he died for your sin and for you to repent now is offends him. It's like, it's like a, an offence to grace because his grace has covered that sin forever. But that's not what the gospel preaches. Amen. And uh, if if you want to have, I've got a video. I might send it around. I was actually planning on playing it in church one day, um, and it's it really goes to the heart of this whole. I think did I send that to you, uh, Sophie, or to Ben? Yeah, the, the, you know the one. It was about a three-hour long. Oh no, it was the interview. Who saw the, that? Um, it's the guy in the brown. Remember, I was telling you about it, Ben. Mark Brown. Michael Brown. The Michael Brown interview on. Um, a Sid, Sid Roth show. Yeah. Did anyone see that? Yeah, yeah. 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 I, if I didn't send it to you, it's because I always try to remember who's in the church when I send it. I should make a, a database thing with everyone's name there. So I just sort of had, thought of a few names and, and sh uh, shoved it off to you. But really important that we understand this because the church on mass is now being very, very deceived by it. And it's leading to a point where like there's Christians around in America this is where it's really bad is in America and I'm getting American Christians always um, contacting me saying you know we wish your church was over here because absolutely no one preaches what you preach absolutely no one we can't go to church because we get taught this hyper grace teaching everywhere it's it's all over the all over the country and it gives them license and I heard one guy who was an Australian guy went over there and lived in the Bible Belt and he said it was the most sexually promiscuous place you could possibly live. It was the one of the worst places that, that um, like compared to other parts of the world, they were up, you know, in nightclubs, and it was like open open field for it, you know, for for all of the drinking and drug taking and and all that stuff. So, um, and this is the hyper grace teaching and what it's actually doing in the church and it's a real concern because what we've got is the probably uh, potentially the weakest church ever and we're heading into the last times we're heading into the return of Christ and the church is in a is very sick and I was watching Leonard Ravenhill uh, who knows Leonard Ravenhill and his ministry who likes Leonard Ravenhill to me he's one of the most uh, you know powerful ministers one of the most powerful ministers ever and we happen to have video footage. You can watch him on YouTube. He's just absolutely awesome. He was in tears in this one video I watched. Absolute, like, shedding tears for the state of the church and how rotten it is. And he's seen it because he was a turn of the century, sort of born around the turn of the century, and he saw the decay of the church, and he's seen in the last 30 years just how far it's come, and it had him in tears behind the pulpit. And um, he didn't know what to do. He, he said he preached everything he could preach. He reached out with everything in his being to just could get Christians back on track and was finding it hard. And, uh, and so we're, we're in a similar state here in Australia and, and the church is also in a similar state. And so as I've always said, they, uh, I, I preach holiness. I preach let's live a holy life and let's live, as, as, live it as best we can and, and let's do all that. And I get called a legalist. People think that's legalism. And Daniel, has people said that to you? 
And when Daniel starts preaching holiness to someone, he'll be saying, they'll be going, what are you doing? We're under grace. What are you saying this for? It's not about works. But since when has holiness been about works? And I know all of you guys hear me say this all the time, so I'm saying it for the benefit of some of the others that haven't heard it. Luke 11, 28. Luke 11. And it says, He replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and... What does it say then? Obey it. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Because that, that was saying, blessed is the mother who gave birth, uh, who gave you birth and nursed you. So they were saying, blessed is Mother Mary. So the Catholic Church was already starting to come into existence at that point. And he says, no, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. That's what it's about. Obedience. Obedience to Christ. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, went to the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of the Father will enter in. It's all about obedience. It's all about doing the will. And if you know, if you, if if it was anything else, it would be strange. If it wasn't about living according to the will of God and being obedient to Him and living a holy and righteous life, what are we doing here coming every Sunday? If, if it wasn't so that you guys could live and lift your lives to a better standard of righteousness in Christ, why go to church? What else would you be doing then? I'd have to entertain you every week. And I'm no good at that. I can't tell a joke very well. I'd have to hire in people each week to come in and do entertaining sermons. Do a lot of churches do that? Have a visiting speaker most weeks, you know, and you get to hear your actual pastor once a month, you know? But that's not what it's all about. It's about doing the will of the Father. It's about living a holy life. And that's what the church is supposed to do, is supposed to be a a holy, you know, uh, what's the word? Breeding people in that. Breeding Christians that live holy lives, raising them up in the faith, in holiness and righteousness, so they become exemplary citizens, standing out from everybody else. Because the, when everybody else is is living this rotten life, they're living a righteous life, and they're, and they're humble in it. They're not thinking they're better than anybody. Actually, they'll stoop down and wash your feet. They'll serve you with all their heart. They'll go out and into the highways and byways and help those that are, are needy. That's what the Christian church is meant to breed. Christians like that, with that sort of attitude. Let's go to Luke 8, 5 to 8. And it says, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as, as he was scattering the seed, some fell on the path, it was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on the rock, on rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. Now, if we just go to 11, verse 11, it says, This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along... So did you get catch that? The seed is the word of God. So the, this is a seed... And it's, it's the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes along and takes away the word from their hearts so that they cannot believe and be saved. So this is people that you go and you preach to them. You tell them about Jesus and, it, and everything you say they've got an answer for. And they just reject, reject, reject and, give, and don't want anything to do with it. Who's spoken to someone like that? Yeah? Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy, and when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. So these are people that receive, and we know people that have received Christ with joy, and you just think at the time, man, these guys are really, really going for it. They love Christ with a passion. And you get really excited, and then suddenly something happens. They lose it. They lose their joy. And then the seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries and their riches and pleasures and they do not mature. So these are people that get 
get weighed down with the burdens of life and and all of the stuff that goes with that and they they end up not maturing in Christ they don't become mature Christians they don't live to their full potential but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word they it retain the word and by persevering produce a crop so they hear it they retain it they they're diligent they've got noble hearts and they're the ones that produce the crop. So when I read that, I go, okay, where do I stand in that? And there was a time when I was standing with the other ones. You know, that life's worries would come along and choke, choke the Word of God out of me. And then, it doesn't mean we're stuck in that, because this is the thing. It's just a parable. It doesn't completely tell of a person's life. It doesn't mean, you know, you could have been choked out of your salvation years ago like Ben's story was that he he was with Christ as a youngster and then he came to resent and then he walked away and then he came back and then he walked away again as he got in the army and all of that stuff got it got it got him pulled into it and then he came out of that and then he says you know what I'm going to mature now I've you know I've hoed up my heart it's ready plant some seed Lord in my heart and I'm going to read the word I'm going to get it into my heart I'm going to make myself strong in this by the power of the Holy Spirit and that's why he's come through now and now he's in full time ministry ministering to um, soldiers so um, you can and he's producing fruit and that's what it says will happen and I'm not saying that if you're not in ministry full time that you're not producing fruit because you can like I've seen with Bill you know, he's got a shop that he's always telling people about Jesus. He rang me one day and says, Rob, I've got a problem. What's your problem? He says, I can't stop telling people about Jesus. <laughs> it's a problem when you're not making any money. <laughs> yeah, you go the whole day. How'd you go today? Oh, yeah, I talked to this guy, this guy, that guy. Now, how many things did you sell? Oh, nothing. <laughs> no, that's not true, is it, Bill? He manages to get a few sales, too. He's a pretty good salesman. Um, so... The last thing I want to finish on is just that. You can see that hand. All right, five ways to approach the Bible that we should meditate on the Word. And meditate, and I won't bother reading the scriptures. You can read them at home if you want to take a photo of it. But to meditate um, is like you, you go into prayer, you go into devotions, and, and you've got something in the scriptures that, you, like a psalm that you're reading, and you read it over and you sort of just meditate on what, what it's saying and, and try to apply it into you. Do you know what I'm saying? And you think about it. You know, a Christian meditates, not the way a Buddhist meditates. A Buddhist will try to empty their mind of every thought, which is impossible, and it can lead to a, a major dilemma in their life because they, uh, they're plagued with thought. Christian doesn't have to worry about that. We can meditate on the Word of God. We can have His Word in our mind, going over and over and over in our mind. And as, as that happens, it heals our mind, heals our thinking, and it heals us from hurts and all these sorts of things. And also it, it energises us and can help us to go into the day better. So meditation is, is that kind of thing, when, and you meditate on the Scriptures. Memorising is also, in my opinion, really, really super important, that we start getting the Scriptures into our memory. And for many reasons, if you're talking to someone and you, you're trying to tell them about Jesus and stuff, to have scriptures on the tip of your tongue is really, really powerful. And if you can, you can even look up scriptures related to witnessing to people, and you, sh- you should memorize at least five and six, you know, get them into your mind. Uh, now, studying is also really, really good. Like, um, I, every time I prepare a sermon, I study the Bible. I study it, I look cross-references to different um, scriptures to get a better understanding of the doctrine that I'm going to be teaching. And so studying is another great thing. You can do that by having um, you know, these study Bibles. And so you can read a verse and then read its application down the bottom or you might have a historical thing to put it in, into perspective for you. Um, and so to make a study of the Word is, is also really good. Um, reading is just another, is just simply that. Just read straight through. Um, some people do reading plans. I don't know. Um, I know Matthew's always done a lot of reading plans over the years. Um, 
that's a really effective way of just getting to know the Bible and going through it. And, and I've found that in doing that, I start memorizing bits and pieces as well. So you don't have to actively memorize. But reading, just reading through the Bible should be something that you do every day. You know, one chapter or two chapters. Uh, and then hearing the words. So you can use Bible tapes. And, you know, so you drive along in your car and you put on a Bible tape. And hear the word as you're driving around. And, and in a sense, what this is meaning is, is pretty well saturate yourself with the Word of God. Because as Christians, this is the thing that is going to get us through this life and into the next. And I haven't got time today to talk about the, um, some other things I was talking about. There's treasures and, um, and talk about the Word of God being the treasure that we store up um, where moss and rust does not destroy. So this is the treasure that we store up in our hearts. And uh, so hearing the word and, and you know using that time if you're driving and if you're used to just putting on the radio, you know, make sure you put on Life FM. Um, but if you if you want to have something different, put on put on a, you know a book of John audio tape or something. And sometimes you have to search for a speaker that you don't mind listening to because some of them you know, some speakers I just don't like the sound of them I search through a few but there is I know there's a, an NIV one with a guy with this really deep voice the sort of voice you don't mind listening to so you can find it on YouTube or download it for free I think that you can get it for free these days download the MP3 and put it on CD if you can't use the CDs or anyway I don't have to give you those bad advice but um, so I hope this has been helpful Who, who's been blessed by it I hope at least three of you that's great <laughs> The rest of you, see if you can do something. <laughs> All right, so let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Lord, thank you for this time now and, and the honour and privilege to uh, speak to these wonderful people. And I just pray that something that I said now will have a uh, will bless them and, and have a positive effect on them, Lord, and help them to go deeper in their spiritual walk. Because, uh, Lord, when it comes down to it, it's all about you. It's all about pleasing you and serving you and doing what is right in your eyes. And uh, so that, Lord, that we can um, make sure that eternal life is secured for us, that we would never lose our salvation, that we'd be able to walk in you uh, constantly for the rest of our life and never turn to the right or the left, but to walk straight into your presence, Lord. And uh, so, Lord, help us now as a church to just get stronger and stronger in our faith and to store up in our hearts the Word of God and that we be changed and transformed uh, as we keep uh, looking looking at your face and looking to you in everything. And Lord, help us in our prayer life as well. Strengthen our prayer life. Make us stronger this year in our prayer life. And may this be a year where we really grow as a church in, in spiritually and in numbers and uh, in, and as a, as a fellowship. And uh, so Lord, I just pray your blessing and protection on every single person here. And so you help them to get through all the things that they're going through and uh, strengthen them in their life. And, and uh, pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.